0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for watching the WeVA podcast. I'm super excited to welcome Rudy Lai, the CEO and co-founder of Tactic, the creators behind Tactic Generate. Uh, we recently had Charles Pierce on the WeVA podcast to discuss Tactic Generate. And I was so excited that Rudy wanted to come on the podcast as well and continue explaining this story because I think this is just so exciting, this uh, user experience design around chat with your documents. And I think this kind of specific narrowing of the focus of you upload, say, you know, five to 10 documents and you have this kind of uh, tabular view of how you ask questions on each of the documents. I think there's so much to explore in this and understanding the emerging space of the different kinds of user experiences people are building around these new technologies. So before going any further, Rudy, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Connor. Awesome. So could we kick it off with kind of the research that took Tactic to Tactic Generate?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, we started Tactic or working on Tactic about four years ago, and our it's literally on our pitch deck. So our mission has always been to find a way to automate finding and summarizing information, right? Because we believe that that's a core part of knowledge work and knowledge work is growing and exploding uh, as a need in our economy. And a lot of knowledge work boils down to finding the right facts um, in, in various information sources, documents being a big part of it, uh, and then and analyzing it, summarizing it, and then kind of presenting it in a, in a useful format for the next person. So it's almost like a knowledge pipeline. Right? It goes from one person to the next person and teams and, and, and organizations and whatnot. But fundamentally, it's all kind of taking data from one place, applying analysis, and then going going forward. So what really took Tactic to Tactic Generate is we, we've really been, this is like a natural extension of, of this vision, right? Because when we started, uh GPT was around, but it was GPT-1 or maybe even before that, um, the, the kind of predominant model then was the one from Allen Institute was, I think BERT just came out. Um, so it wasn't very powerful back then, like rule-based natural language generation systems that mainly were used for train stations and weather reports, but nothing fancy like we have today. Right. Um, and the, the kind of, I guess, technical difficulty was, was, was not a obstacle for us. And if anything, it made it more attractive to, to pursue this startup. Um, we found a lot of traction in the enterprise space. And one of the things that uh Worked for us was sort of large-scale uh, data creation, right, or, or data synthesis, where kind of it was like small bits of data that you can find and summarize. It's a bit like a search at scale kind of kind of solution. Um, but we always ran into customers where they had a lot more complicated, complex needs around um, the, the the kind of facts that they're finding, the analysis that they're doing, and the summarization that they're doing, especially around. Uh, kind of f- asking questions about increasingly complicated documents and also producing increasingly complicated and sophisticated reporting and visualization and analysis. So that's that's where we were. So we were looking at this, this problem for the longest time, right? Like we know where it is. We know what tools are out there. We know why they suck. We know why they not suck. We know what, what needs to happen for this to, to work. Um, and I think critically, we we knew that the... I guess the summarization and analysis is just one part of the magic, right? There's a lot of it is around the, the user experience, integration, the pricing and all that kind of stuff um that affected it. So at the turn of this year, as you know, like that the world exploded with with ChatGPT and I think the then then we were like, okay, well what can this like how does this change where we are on the innovation kind of curve, right? Um, because this kind of, to us signified it's the time for us to rethink, how do we solve this problem that we know very deeply? Um, and so tactic generate was sort of like our stab at it, where we kind of saw uh, a few needs, right? Number one is if you kind of think from the end, the, one of the key requirements for like really any knowledge worker that we, we speak to is. The flexibility of the visualization right how what's the report that you're designing how how do you how do you <clears throat> um, structure it how do you like make it pretty how do you make it digestible digestible is actually like a, like a big word that people use a lot so that's number one right like what does it look like and then number two is we then thought okay well it's probably not that interesting to build a tool that I guess, Takes a small bit of data, extracts some answers, and then like visualizes it, right? Because you can do that by hand. You don't even need GPT. And if there's anything longer, you can probably copy and paste it into, um, into into like a chat or into like a like a AI tool, and then you're done. So that's that's probably not where it, it, it's worth spending time. So our natural kind of idea was, well, what is the most complicated but replicable use case? And then that's where the comparison stuff came in because while you can reasonably say you can kind of paste in 600 pages of a pdf into ChatGPT, um, if you have two then <laughs> it uh, no matter how big your context it's it's just it's not clear cut enough for it to do any sort of useful analysis so that's number two number three it's we wanted to look at we want to solve the problem of repeated analysis for a lot of our users so whether we look in the legal field for lawyers, uh, financial field for investment analysts, uh, enterprise fields for uh, kind of customer-facing data teams and research teams, a lot of the times they they literally have this thing called a knowledge pipeline where they are creating knowledge and creating insight um, in a repeatable way. So one example is customer onboarding, right? Like every time you onboard a customer, you need to find and summarize who this customer is and how it fits with your business model, give it a score, and then. Put in somewhere else. Um, every time you onboard a new vendor, the legal team has to go through the T's and C's to make sure that the payment terms are fine, the the legality of it is fine, the the liability is what kind of appropriately placed. And there's we've seen literally hundreds of playbooks around somebody, uh, unlike you and I, like sitting down just right now, like okay, guys, this is our process, right? We get a new vendor in, we look at these five documents, we ask these set of questions, and basically. If the answers are this, then assign this score. The answer is this, this score. And we were like, well, that's a machine learning algorithm. <laughs> it's just before kind of all these large language models came on, like there was no, there's no way for you to automate this. So the the, the kind of three things is really pretty reports, um, kind of comparison and complicated analysis, and then a repeatable use case, right? So in the backdrop of these three problems, we designed tactic generate.
0: Yeah. V- Rudy, that was a fantastic overview. So much, so much in that to unpack. And I think, um, yeah, I kind of want to, I think I want to end kind of on this, on the pretty reports part, because I do, I think that's quite profound and, but kind of staying on the, the ch- the, the looking across multiple documents. I really like this perspective, like, I guess before uh, you know, I just listened to your overview. I was, I was maybe mostly thinking about I upload like ten research papers, and I ask a question like, uh, you know, what uh, I don't know, how does this use retrieval augmented generation? I, I don't know, and it asks it across each of the questions, and I aggregate it. But this also like kind of um, you know putting in customers or recent projects and trying to like you know, process multiple, I don't, I guess like almost like people in a way like this kind of, cause it's like CRM like is like do this analysis across all these people. And it's, yeah, it's also kind of mind opening. And so I guess kind of, if we could dig a little further into the kind of workflows, you earlier, when we talked, you described this kind of looking for the Venn diagram of commonality between say researchers, equities, researchers, or maybe a lawyer. And I think also this kind of how you've described uh, looking across customers is also sort of a already kind of expanded the scope but just that perspective of how do you go about trying to identify the common workflows between these you know massively different kind of i want to say like information professions
1: yeah so um the the kind of venn diagram idea that we, we talked about it's really i guess a mindset of how we're looking to build this product um the the main thing it's we think this is a pretty horizontal uh platform or products that we're building that maybe has a few key use cases or killer use cases that we market, but fundamentally like it's it it has to cross a few personas for it to succeed. Um I think the backdrop is we have quite high ambitions for the audience of, of this tool. Um we want it to be as as applicable to everybody as possible. Um so I think one of the the main kind of challenges in building a product like this is how how do you prioritize? Like how do you focus? Because if your I guess objective is to make it work for most people or at least that multiple kind of personas, by definition you don't have focus, right? Because mm-hmm. you you're declaring that like actually <laughs> like, multiple kind of kinds of people would use this. So the way that we kind of reasoned about this or worked around this philosophically is to say well our thesis about building this 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 products is like any other horizontal product right like what is the intersection between the workflows of these people and like how do we build the common bits out and find a way to for these users to customize it to their needs and and their workflows but still build out the core and our theory is if we solve the core really well for a lot of um, personas, it actually delivers more value because it simplifies the solution, it simplifies the problem for everybody. And like there's cross-pollination of like what the solution needs to look like. So literally it's, it's just us going the old fashioned way, user journey maps, user experience diagrams. We kind of draw out like what, what, what are people doing across these seemingly unrelated um, workflows how can we rethink them, relabel them um, to, to find commonalities between the different kind of steps, so to say? And then where we get to the, where we find like a step that's kind of end-to-end and, and, and common, so the, the, the intersection in the Venn diagram, then that, that's where our focus is. So it still gives us a focus, but it means that if we're really good at this intersection, there'll be a big audience behind what we're focused on versus if you are defining focus in an arbitrary way like oh let's make tactic generate but let's make it great for pharmaceutical scientists first like that sounds like a great focus mm. what you end up is is you spend a lot of time building for a very small audience which really limits the impact uh of your platform so that's that's kind of how we think about and then prioritization and focus for tactic generate
0: Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I I guess like personally, I had this perspective of wanting to build something for AI researchers, because I think of myself as an AI researcher. And then I feel like I can understand that market. And I think it'd be really interesting for people listening who are also trying to like, build their apps to understand this, like, I'm very curious, like how you spend your time sort of in doing so like, like, do you have maybe like a You know, a a customer, like a lawyer, a research scientist, and you know, and and a salesperson, and you kind of like work with each of them closely, and then you try to, you know, refactor out the abstractions. Like, like how how do you kind of go about doing this research of like what each person does, and just sort of like what, like, kind of concretely, what does the uh, the task of building that product and managing those relationships, and you know,
1: yeah. So I think this is. The, related to the concept um, called Founder Market Fit, uh, which kind of states that you should find an idea that suits your skill set and your experience. Um, I come from a, a world of professional services. A lot of my friends and network are in law, research, information services, science, um, knowledge jobs, basically. And so I think for me, it's less about um finding and maintaining these these relationships, but more like exploiting what I already know um mm-hmm. and what I've done before. Like I was the guy who was building these knowledge pipelines for when I went in the first three, five, five years of my career, and I've like struggled with them quite a bit. And and nothing replaces that kind of experience. And and that's precisely the reason why I'm not in agri tech or I'm not in uh like transport tech or whatever it is because I don't know what to start. Like I know nobody who is working in city planning or I know nobody who's working in farming. Um, and, and so so that's one thing. The other thing, it's like, it's I, I think the whole art of building a product is around research and, and, and talking to customers and, and whether it's about talking to customers about similar tools, talking to customers about competitive tools, talking to customers about their problem and how it ranks in their stack. There's like you just can't stop learning and then there's no amount like there's an infinite amount of insight out there for you. Um and it's definitely something you can't like <laughs> maybe this is sort of my my idiosyncratic term. You can't armchair uh and 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 think of a successful product. Um it's it's a it's a constant cycle of um kind of testing and learning. So I think in terms of concrete, actionable steps for for people who are building products, I think number one is to go talk to your audience. Like if you can't explain it easily, what you're doing and, and make them resonate uh, with what you're building, it probably wouldn't work, right? Because at some point you need the, the, the rubber needs to hit the road and the rubber doesn't hit the road without marketing. So you need to first like be very intimate with your audience and, and, and talk to them. The second thing that we've learned is you need to form full hypotheses to test with this audience, right? So you you get a lot of insight. You understand, like, for example, what AI scientists need. Um, one of the dangers is to solve a bit of it or to test something that's too insignificant where, because it doesn't matter, like nobody gives you real feedback. Whereas if you, like the whole art of like kind of finding a new product is how do you, um I guess, test the most amount of assumption with the least amount of effort. Right. So like what, what, you want to do is like, after you get the insight, you want to say, what if I try this big idea, right? Like how fast can I de-risk this big idea? And put it in front of people. Now, when you talk about big ideas because it matters, then people are going to be a lot more critical and they have like a lot more actionable feedback to give you. Right. So I can give a very concrete example. Um, I think, some people are like, "Oh, let me te- let me try to accelerate AI research. Um, what if I test a tool that sends you new papers on archive every morning, right? Like, like a little email. We've all thought it. Like <laughs> we've all thought about that one, and it's taken some time. And this is fine. And and but then the the kind of feedback you're going to get at it it's it's proportional to the the impacts that, that or the, the ambition of your pro- problem. Whereas if you go go to somebody and say, hey, Connor.'" Can you still do your job if you're if you're not allowed to go on archive? You have to go through this tool. Then you know that tool needs to be really good because it is life is like a significant part of your job, right? And and you have significant requirements because you can't not have archive in your in your row. Like that just, that's just that's unthinkable. Um, and so I think that's that's where like having a real big test in the market is very important. And then lastly, it's just a good way of what I've heard. It's sort of when you're finding a new product, it's always around strong strong beliefs, weakly held, or or strong strong kind of convictions, weakly held, <laughs> where you want to really believe in something. And it's, it's a challenging mindset to adopt, right? But you really, want to really believe in something like, oh, I really believe that I can replace archive. I can have a better archive than, than before. Um, but then you when you want to test it quickly and you want to kind of like see the evidence of the point where you then like, actually, maybe I'm wrong. And then you just be like, yeah, whatever. I'm not not whatever, but like you need to kind of make that switch from I really believe in it to like actually there's enough evidence to say that probably wouldn't work and like, oh, well, and let's move on to, to kind of like get that innovation pace going rather than obsessing about being right and visionary because like nobody's like Thomas Edison wasn't visionary. He just tried enough materials and then he was a visionary um so um so i think those are the kind of three steps that we went through
0: yeah i think there's a lot of super interesting kind of philosophy in that i think um yeah that kind of testing ideas in the market so to say it's it's really fascinating i think like um maybe making the analog to vector databases in the state that that's all in right now is there's kind of like it's kind of like this: the the RAG stuff and kind of like higher level query interfaces are so popular. It's so quick to um, see how much people like something like an SQL router or a multi-hop question decomposition thing. Whereas I, I think then if you want to look into like uh, different kinds of indexes within deep into the database, it's like, I think there's also this in, interesting interplay between uh, like a big idea that you kind of preview. Like you say, hey, this is something that we could do, but like, you know, going to take a while but you still kind of like put it out there and then kind of like build up like uh you know the momentum for it and i yeah i think especially with technology it's such a kind of hard to just kind of nail down and describe that process but i do i am i'm really fascinating this kind of um like how you manage talking to customers and maybe that's something we can come back to after we kind of dive a little more into tactic generating so so let's dive into this kind of like comparison across multiple documents i think that is a super powerful thing. It's like, you know, we, we all kind of know this like chat with documents where, you know, you, you just kind of retrieve logment to generate and you have some input that's like from your documents compared to this other kind of perspective that you're pioneering, which is like uh answer for each of the documents and then kind of analyze it later. Can You just kind of tell me further about the conviction that you said, this kind of ask a question across each individual document. That's that's a super powerful way to interface with these chatbots
1: i think the the, the reason why we 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 believe it in so much it's we we have always i think it comes from our experience working with this sort of user experience for a long time and i want to stress that the reason why we talk about the user experience a lot is because we think all of AI comes back to user experience, where like you could—I mean, we wanted like whether you you score a benchmark at eighty-five F one or ninety-two, it, like it matters. But what what really matters is like what the impacts you can deliver as as a as a as a model. So the in in terms of the conviction around the comparison, I think the there are a few things that make us quite excited right so number one is the comparison enables us to kind of easily extend into the idea of agents mm-hmm. um the second th- thing that's interesting for us it's it's a good combination of sort of old world ruse based kind of knowledge management systems and new world like gpt LLM based uh, vector-based kind of knowledge management, um, and the reason why these two things are important, it's number one. So they're they're kind of both based on the learning that we've seen in the field. So the reason why kind of comparing different like topics and and maybe we haven't talked about this in topic generate, you can compare across documents. We can also compare across, across folders. So you can say like mm-hmm. I have five folders, one per. Vendor, and then within each folder, I have multiple documents and multiple databases and multiple like Excel files. That's fine. Like the comparison and the bucketing is is what what makes it powerful. Um, so I think the the reason why this is this is a, the bet that we made. It's it's not because like as it, as it is, it's a, it's a world changing idea. Like I don't think it's anywhere near that. But it, it's like a gateway for us to get to a lot more exciting kind of long term prospects because. If the idea of comparison works, and if the idea of like having different buckets of of, of documents going into uh, LLMs will work, um, that means you can then kind of like naturally hook into existing knowledge graphs that are present in in everyday life, and it means that like there's a way for us to go beyond just chatting to docs, right? Because as you know, uploading in PDF and chatting to it. It's, it's so twenty twenty three January, you know. <laughs> We're moving that nowadays. And um and, and so that's that's number one. And then number two, like the we've always seen that the, the kind of main downside of AI, it's the black box ness of it, right? Like um if we kind of think back to pre twenty seventeen before deep learning, like explainability was a giant thing, right? Everybody was like, Oh my god, I have like explainable AI, you can see all of it. Um, and, and kind of CNNs came to play and everybody was like, Oh my God, I can generate cats now, um, and, get explainability. and they kind of came back for a bit and the LMS came in and then people were obsessed about generating travel plans on, on chat GPT and then they forgot about it. Um, but what we think, what we've seen is actually users don't really care about explainability as much as they care about control. Right. So the, the, the. The reason why people want something explainable is not because they want to know what's happening. They don't want to know what's happening. They want to know how to fix things when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the kind of comparison enables us to give a very simple analogy to a user to say, hey, here's how you can control the inputs to an LLM. Here's how you control inputs to RAG. Um, and and you, there are familiar things that you can use like folders and and tags and, and, and documents to control something that's so new age and so black boxy like a like a like a rack system um and that's why i think we we've invested so much in confidence into this idea
0: yeah i, I love how you just also opened my perspective about the folders uh, across folders already at the, about kind of putting in uh, people and I was also kind of starting to think about like, well, what if one of the columns is querying like an SQL table or yeah. And like, you could have the same kind of, uh, you know, it could be vector search across uh, like multiple collections and the, you know, when you separate out in table collections being kind of the, you know, the analog to that. But yeah, I, I just think this kind of user interface thing is so powerful. I think chat GBT, you know, a big part of its success is that it has this GUI that is very available. like. If it was a model on hugging face, I don't think my mom. Would, <laughs> I don't think my mom would know about yeah. it, right? You're gonna, you're gonna get a phone call from Clem soon. Um, <laughs> but not,
1: I, not I agreed. It's it's the because GPT has always existed, right? The, the explosiveness was the chat part of it. Um, mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I, I, you know, talking to entrepreneurs, I think like um, also a really interesting one is Perplexity from Arvind Trinivas, is, is founder of it, and. Uh, like th- this is like uh chatbot, but w- as well as the attribution to sources. So you kind of have the interface where it gives you like, here are the documents that this answer is based on. And, uh, you know, our last the podcast we just published with um, Vibs from No Plus is, it, you know, it's like a, a, a user experience with visuals for how you manage like multiple assistants or agents. So I I do think the impact of this kind of user interface design with this columns, I think it can. It is like you know. I do think it's world changing. As you said, I don't think it's world changing. But I, don't. I Yeah, I really think it can't. It it can have that potential to kind of like. This is kind of the the big exciting thing I want to kind of bring up is like Andre Carpathy had this really famous tweet comparing LLMs to operating systems, where he said, "Right now we're in like the 10 hertz per second, like tokens per second, <laughs> the analog." where we're like watching single threaded execution. We're just kind of watching the single threaded execution. And I think this is the next step is, um, you know, like where we have these visualizations of LLM parallelization, I want to call it like where you see it processing kind of like four folders, documents at a time. And so I think it's that next step in the visualization. Maybe like if you could tell me more about your perspectives on like, yeah, I guess just that like visualization of LLM prompt chains because it's like now what we're finding is the LLM is like an atomic processing unit, and we can just like chain it together, have it process documents asynchronously, and that's kind of what I what I'm picturing this all is like, yeah,
1: yeah. The way I I'm actually, <laughs> and this this might be a this is purely opinion. I have, I have lots of lots of respect for people who are working on prompt chains, but I think. It it needs a it needs a repositioning on in terms of marketing language, right? Because I think the word chaining and "chain of thought," "chain of command," whatever you want to you want to say, and and the kind of prompts, like all of these are, I guess, quite technical, right? Like I I have the same problem with the word "temperature," right? Like of all mm. the words it <laughs> take to describe this knob, like why why <laughs> would you call it temperature? Um, because it's like it's not technical. Because if it's technical, it'd be entropy or something. Um, and but it's not like fully kind of plain English either. Um, but anyway, um, I think in terms of kind of prompts, like my view is, I, I I'm I'm very much on the same page as, as 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 Andre, where I think we are, we're seeing like a new way to program right because like if if you if you think about like a programming language which is uh the the kind of opposite of uh of a natural language um it's a way for you to communicate with a computer um and and get it to do things right and and what is like an llm it's a way to communicate with a computer to get it to do things except the the silicon is the model right like if you if you think about the the way the neurons are laid out it, it's you can kind of say that it's it's a it's a piece of hardware right um because information travels through and then it comes out and and you've all this logic going in uh in the middle and it's just that instead of having binary gates it's sort of a a continuous gate in every in every in every transistor um so i definitely think we are in the kind of 10 hertz or even slower kind of kind of um i definitely think it is a computer like I'm sure somebody a lot more computer sciencey can 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 give a lot more science around that but what I see from a practical standpoint is, I can imagine that there is a little bit of a in between between programming languages and like fully chatty natural language uh, implementations where it's the middle ground of you just have like a load of prompts that go go on and on and there's like defined um structure between the prompts. And so it lowers the bar for uh programming. And actually that's a really good thing because mm. I think our profession is going to expand, not contract, in the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. And it's actually incredibly important for us as a society to have more and more programmers, and more and more people knowing how to program. And if we can lower the bar for this, it actually democratizes and 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 creates a lot more opportunity for us as a whole um i think the difficult thing is all the things we've been talking about right the specificity of 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 lm's the, the predictability like how brittle is it versus the the, the the training model because like for example if you're building a compiler you can change one bit and you can clearly state what bit you have changed you issue a new compiler and that's it that's that like there's no more to it whereas with natural language, you can't do that right you can't just say, "Hey, I just changed this particular thing and like people understand it like there's a schema for it there's none of these things so um, to, to quote another kind of big tech influencer, um, I believe it's Ben Evans who said like programming with LMs is like playing battleship. you put in an input and you see what happens right you don't know and you see what happens and sometimes you strike gold and I think that needs to kind of f- find a balance before it's useful and I think before that the kind of prompt chains or, or or uh change of thought kind of uh implement uh I guess approach would kind of purely be in the very technical realm where you're you you are almost kind of half an AI researcher or you're a prompt engineer, so to say, and it's extremely technical and like we, we know you know, the simpler the idea, the faster it spreads. So that's sort of my overall kind of thoughts around this. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's so much to unpack to that. I, the last thing you said, it's the simpler the idea, the easier it spreads. I think I, I want to stay on that one. I like it so much because it's like, yeah, I feel like with um, with chain of thought. Well, I guess that's the thing is like if these visualizations and user interfaces can simplify it for, you know, some someone who I don't know, like maybe you're like a teacher in the fifth grade and you want to use RAG to you have all your students tests and you want to try to find like things like this like like the user interface the way that it can make it you know more accessible compared to yeah like i like i I don't i don't know if the fifth grade teacher is going to be you know trying to write this in python with LangChain, but i think rather having something like tactic generate is more so what they would want would be my guess but so I, i kind of want to talk staying on this user interface this is really the topic i really want to drive into is I'm very curious about like aggregating the analysis across the documents. So say I have my three folders. I, I even I already like folders more than documents, but like so I have my three folders, and I'm I've asked a question like uh I don't know, what do you think about Gorilla LLMs? And I have three folders of research papers and they each like produce a question. And then say I want to sync it up. So like maybe I I then have like a row where I'm like, okay, now talk to the other columns and and unify it. And I think this this is related to the pretty reports kind of idea, right? So how would you think about then kind of merging the columns together?
1: Really good question. And I think that's where all the value is in in a, in a tool like this, because um, I think to just kind of stay focused on the problems that we're trying to solve as, as technologists, um, you, you and i both know that if you find 100 fifth grade teachers one of them would know python and would be on langchain the other 99 would not um so how do you how do you get it the other 99 to benefit from from this progress um it's still very early days but like the the kind of useful analogy i have found in in the world of tech is business intelligence tools so guys like looker guys like um mode guys like tableau um, and, and kind of if you break these kind of products down, they all kind of have a thing in common where there is a retrieval step and then there's a visualization step. Mm-hmm. So to give you a very simple example, in these tools, what you can do is you can connect your business data um, <clears throat> or you can connect your personal data. Like if you're a quantified self kind of app and connect this data and then you write a query, right? Like you're like SQL query. You're like, hey, give me the sales by quarter for the last eight quarters and you have that and you have this like big kind of table that is an eyesore right it's hard to look at these numbers they're often like with loads of decimal points and so on and so forth and and then so these tools give you then a way to chart these guys up right and we all know this like you take the table you make a bar chart you make a line chart you make a pie chart whatever Um, and so I think this is like a really good analogy um, for I think what's about to come in the in the uh, kind of LLM UI space, where the LLM is sort of a new age information retrieval or, or or yeah, which kind of language right? So that is SQL in the in for unstructured and 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 text data and and now really any unstructured data right? Text, video, audio, um, documents and and so i think we can we can kind of arrive at a step in the in the in the in the next 18 months where um you have all these tools which allow you to extract specialized types of data into a format that people somewhat are familiar with like a table or like a report or something mm-hmm. and then there's another bit that visualizes this right so i think i can go so far to say as it probably will be the same visualizations that we already know, like charts, graphs, diagrams. I would say that maybe we would see like a ggplot, plot kind of meets McKinsey slides kind of model where like in, in ggplot plot you have, I don't know, 25 mm-hmm. different plot types and, and it's all popularized. And then in, in this new kind of library, you would have uh, 25 most common ways to visualize denser information, right? Or unstructured information. So, you can imagine like a few paragraphs and a few kind of like a graph and it just kind of like merges the whole thing and tells a pretty story. And then maybe what would happen? is like, you would have one bit where you're like, I'm looking for this kind of data and another bit where I want to summarize it this way. And then in the summarizing bit, you would have a fine tuned model that could spit out these visualizations or, or, or slides and it's not a new idea, right? Like Tome is doing a great job at, at creating these generative slides um and so i think that's 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 the that that's currently the way that we see is most possible to go towards um the other Hmm. way that i think ui could be like really really impactful in in this ads instead of companies like ourselves or i guess instead of horizontal products let's say in general um seeing traction you actually first see the Vertical tools seeing traction, hmm. right? So, um, you would have a um, exam prepare pre- preparation app, or you have like a quiz creation app. <laughs> that starts integrating this, right? But the 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 main fine tuning that they're all doing is sort of text to action, right? How can you hmm. go from prompt to whatever action that you need to perform in that in that app to create the end result? Um, and I think because it's so shapeless, what, what LLMs can do. Really anchoring this in this kind of extreme way, leveraging fine-tuning, leveraging chain of thought, leveraging RAG, will mean that the learning curve for the user is the smallest. And you know, according to one of the, the UX kind of principles, I think it's Jacob's Law, um, where users spend most time outside of your app, not with your app. Hmm. Like, making a familiar experience goes a long way in making sure that adoption happens for some of these new groundbreaking technologies. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, so, so again, it's just so much it inspired so many ideas for me. Like the, I guess just the thinking of like creating a presentation is, is super powerful. Like I think about like recently I was reading the memGbt paper and I'm like going through it. I might ask questions to particular paragraphs and, I create this like artifact of the questions I've asked and especially as the models get multimodal and they can extract a picture and maybe look at a picture or even create a picture. And I think they can just use APIs to create graphs. I don't think you'll need to have it be an image generation model to create a graph, but but anyway, so like this, this kind of idea of creating this artifact, it, I guess for me, it then is like, um, the tuning of the artifact. So like, if I, I guess like if, if I have this, like I chat with my paper, And I ask it these questions and I, you know, and it should be able to understand from the questions I asked to the paper, kind of how I see the story uniquely and what kind of presentation I'd want to produce when I then want to go, you know, tell Rudy about MemGPT. So, but I'm curious, like if there's, Maybe like, I don't know if I'm getting too off the rails and into the clouds with this one, but this kind of like multi-agent thing is emerging as a as a new as a new kind of thing. Like Autogen is getting really popular in like role-playing systems where it's like, uh, you know, someone who would maybe inter- uh, impersonate Connor, impersonate Rudy, impersonate Bob, let's say he's in our, you know, our fictional world. So I'm, I'm curious, if, I, I know that this is maybe pivoting the topic from the kind of presentation, but this whole kind of like, multi agent thing, does that maybe have something to do with this sort of visualization interface where I I can imagine like multiple columns are like, you know, the Connor column, the Rudy column, <laughs> the Bob column, right? And then they each process something and I can visualize it with this kind of user interface perspective.
1: Uh, maybe. I think the um, There is There is the the question about can it be done? And then there's a question about is it useful? Um, and I think the for me, the value of the multi-agent thing is at least from my perspective, and I have a very kind of I guess business perspective around it, um, is you can automate more and more complicated processes, right? Because that's like, <laughs> that's that's the obsession <laughs> of, of tactic as a company. Um and and so it's probably more around um using that idea to represent different types of experts and different types of underlying data and business business needs and, and objectives and how they interact rather than the visualization of it. And and I'm I'm guessing I I can probably dig a lot deeper into artigen to 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 get this question in a more precise way, but I I think what it, what it is it's maybe I can answer it this way. So the reason why I answered the, the I gave the previous answer was ultimately the visualization is a means to an end, mm. right? Like the end, as you say, it's like you presenting this deck about MemGPT in. In the in the podcast you did, or in the video you did, sorry, uh, I think yesterday, um, and, uh, and and so kind of, I think the the exciting part about these multi-agent systems is the ability for a developer to offer automations that are more powerful than 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 what we have now. That allows you to skip even more steps about building this this, this presentation, right? Maybe. Like I'm just doing a far-fetched thing. It's maybe you can like describe something, and then the video comes out, right? And then you're like, "Oh, okay." Like this is a good first draft. Why don't I? Why don't I? Um. Why don't I modify this? And and because we we have cracked this balance between structured and unstructured kind of outputs, like you have levers to change the output, and 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 the machine has created something that's workable rather than um just creating I think this is where we are now with video generation where it creates a video and that's kind of it like there's there's no levers you can't like remove a tiger or whatever like Mm -hmm. you just say like hey I like this can you generate again and hopefully the tiger stays there um whereas I think with with multi-agent like it means that we can kind of in I guess compose more and more pieces of context into one thing and then have it all interact together in the correct way um that's my current view about how this works. But I like my pushback about whether visualizing the different agents would would be interesting is because I think it would more be like a beneath the surface kind of intelligence layer thing, rather because because visualization is not the end goal, um, and, and therefore like it would, yeah, it, it wouldn't be the first thing I try. Let's say, <laughs> but who yeah. no, knows? I, I haven't tried it yet, So
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's really interesting because I'm, I'm so obsessed with this column, like user interfaces is just like, you know, my focus for the last 45 minutes as we're talking is like, just and I, and I, and it's originally what we're talking about with the customer kind of perspective. Like I, I can imagine like, um, you know, I have a new, I've written a new blog post and I have like 50 people who I really would like to know what they think about the blog post, And then it's kind of simulated through maybe like a, you know, like a, um, a, a horizontally, I, mean, I could just scroll horizontally and see like bob eddie and byron like <laughs> see everyone yes yeah, so I, I i and so i guess the other question and this is kind of what came from you know thinking about how to optimize the reports is i'm very curious what like a more autonomous research across your documents could look like like we we see things like you can use the lm to maybe propose a question for a document like the LLMs can kind of come up with their own questions and then sort of answer it as well. So, do you think of a lot about this kind of more autonomous research process?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that the kind of current challenge that we we all have as an industry is how unbounded and how limitless the the possibilities are. Right. It. I think the way I I I sometimes like I guess, think about it to my with myself. It's this conversation is like. You and I, like if you substitute the word AI with the word Python, you would understand like how I guess unbounded the question is like, oh, can we can we make this with Python? Probably, um, but the the way I I specifically think about it in terms of <clears throat> um, the visualization is, um, let me pick up my train of thoughts for for two seconds, um. Yeah, so in terms of generating the end result and generating questions, I think we can be a lot more ambitious than that, right? So I think in terms of automation, the way I I like to decompose it, it's I think we have an opportunity here to kind of automate the usage of certain or, or the usage of apps, essentially, right? And I can expand on that. So let's take the simple example first, right? Let, let's think about building a report, right? Let's say if, let's think about building a summarized short report from a very long piece of piece of document. So let's say we took the 2023 LLM paper review on archive, which is I think 60 pages long, and want to produce like a blog post that says like, hey, these are the key themes and this blog post needs to be five minutes long, let's say, a reading time. Um, if we don't have LLMs, then what we'll do is we'll run this through. We'll probably pick out the important piece of information and it's like appears in your Word document. And you look at the Word document, you'll be like, oh, okay, so I can cluster this into different areas and then I can kind of condense it. I'm done. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, you, you do that and then you start formatting it, right? So you're like, oh, okay, I need to format this um, <clears throat> into headings and subheadings and you have like sensible copy. I to have to like change the tone a bit add some images, like add some stats to make it look pretty. And I need to like publish it on my, my favorite blog editor. Right. Great. Um, The benefit for us, it's like a lot of these tools now have APIs, right? Like you can, if you, if you publish a blog post uh, online, chances are it's some sort of JSON blob flying somewhere going in there. So I think what we can, where we can get to, it's like, there's really to me no mystery whether you can generate a report or not. Like that's a given. But what I think would be really cool, and this is actually what we're working on, is to generate that JSON blob that results in a full blog post on your blog um, immediately. Right. Because you can teach and fine-tune an LLM to understand the schema of the API that you're using to publish this content and just say based on this, and based on like successful blog posts you've seen, run like build me a 10 themes from the, this, this, this document for me. And it just does the whole thing. And I think that's where like your kind of multi-agent thing comes in where you have this panel of experts essentially. And one guy is an expert on hmm. the, the API to publish the blog post. Another agent is an expert on building visualizations. A third person is an expert on finding relevant images on Unsplash. And then a fourth person is is great at like copywriting. And then so they all kind of come together and they just generate this. Um and I think that's where kind of like the the challenge is. Um maybe I'm optimist, but like I actually I, I don't even think that is that 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 hard because to me, like we have got to the point where uh with enough resources you can kind of fine-tune the LLM to do like most reasonable things. And you can get to like a pretty good level of like I'm generating structured content, um, based on some prompts, and then the the la- the next thing for to do it's for humans to go tune it and adjust it and add, add, add your own twist, and then you're you're, you're done. So what it looks like it's you're running an IPO deal, and you can just say okay, let's let's make a deck for the road show, and it just it it calls the Google Sheets slides API. Nobody needs to stay late to align boxes anymore. Nobody needs to like have typos. It's all kind of perfect. Um, but you would need so much intelligence in it, right? Like as I said, you need somebody who's good at graphs. You need an agent who's good at text. You need an agent who can think through layout and all of these things. And I think that's where a lot of the kind of future uh, value is going to be built because I really think generating questions is. It's again like a not a solved problem, but we have enough evidence that it's doable. Um, Whereas, I think we're kind of stepping out of the "can we do it" kind of RAM and stepping into the "is it valuable" kind of kind of RAM, right? Like, for the longest time, can we run? um, Can we run like large neural networks was a big question, right? Like physically, it wasn't possible, and it was possible, and then so the, the the real impactful application was ChatGPT and and LLMs um so uh for me like what excites me is things that are not certain um and to me like generating questions one after the other or like sensible lists of questions it's like fairly well solved uh especially with rag right like if it's just a common sense kind of thing i understand that's harder like i've tried these tools where they're like oh i'll generate a blog post for you and it's it's try to approach it in a common sense way i think that's quite hard but if you, you like break it down and, and go through a multi-agent process and each agent is really good at what they're doing, then like, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to build that. It's just a matter of time and resources and effort.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's, I, I, I love, again, a really great overview of these things. And I guess like for me, it's like right when ChatGPT came out, someone was like, Oh, I just I just prompted it with you are Jan Lacoon like AI expert, yeah. right? And then you get a better answer as a result of that. And I just think that kind of like author, editor role playing is just a super powerful prompt, but for whatever reason, I mean, I still haven't I I don't use that kind of thing every like for every blog post I write, I should be putting it into some app that has all these different roles of like you know, you're a Harvard admissions counselor. Does this pass? Or like, you're my boss. Is <laughs> like, so it's like it should be. I I just feel like that kind of role playing. I think it's like with Lang Chain had this like Lang Hub. I think it's called. I I'm not actually super familiar about these things, but like one of the uh, aspects of like community building around prompting that I think was so powerful is just kind of like you know building up the corpus of like here are the prompts that people are using, and then that kind of role playing thing for the author editor thing. I think that's so powerful. Yeah, it's really inspiring. And I just think that this sort of I don't know, maybe I'm just obsessed with it. I think the column layout of it is just a really nice abstraction for going beyond that single-threaded LLM execution as Andre Carpathy describes and getting into this more parallel LLM, more asynchronous, more autonomous. And yeah, so Rudy, let me ask you wrapping up the podcast, like um what kind of future direction, what what horizon thing that excites you the most about uh, direction of AI.
1: I think the the next step for us that's exciting is to find all the real applications that 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 this could bring. So I think, and then I think what I'm commenting on it's it's not I'm not commenting on like other disciplines of AI, right? Like computer vision, kind of a breakthrough tomorrow, and like we all look like idiots today, or like robotics or something. Um, I'm not coming on that, I'm just specifically saying like within the kind of developments of GPT and LLM and NLP in general, I think one of the things that have been circulating around the industry, like I hear it in in corridors of of conferences, it's, there's like a bit of a so what moment for LLMs where, okay, you could chat to it. It could generate all this language, like, okay. And then like kind of customers' expectations that have kind of long departed from, from from the wow moment. Um and I think the what we currently see it's it's probably you would see more and more specialized tools that are based on AI that goes beyond, oh, there's this chat interface, or we can summarize things for you, or we can we can generate like simple things. And it needs to be surprising and it needs to be easy and it needs to be intuitive for the end user and i think that's where we 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 see the next chapter of, of this this journey but i think right now like as it stands everybody's adding summarization everybody's adding chat everybody's adding smarter questions for their data and it doesn't seem like it's moving the needle for anybody else like um is it and and, and that's why i think we focus so much on the ux and the ui because like I think that that ultimately kind of governs how how good uh, and or how big of an adoption we'll see as an industry. Um, but look, I think the the main thing it's uh, nothing grows as fast as as AI does. Like you know, you 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 re- rarely see like a te- like a category that kind of peaks again and again. Like you you look at other types of robotics or crypto or VR, they're all kind of. Like there's a bit of not a bit of a ceiling, but like they they don't they're not as fast as this, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very exciting time, and but I think we 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 need to kind of, I guess, get to the specifics of what can AI really do for us beyond fun cosmetic things on top of existing existing, I guess, incumbent solutions.
0: Yeah. Um, Rudy, amazing. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I I hope our listeners check out uh, Tactic Generate because I, yeah, as I think we just discussed for the last hour, like I think this kind of visualization, the power of it is, yeah, all these kind of future looking things, I think they need interfaces to you know, become more accessible, and and also even even I think if you're the most hardcore programmer out there, you'll probably enjoy having. I guess some people know, some people will just command line tools till the end, but I, I just find it so useful. Rudy, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Connor. It was great to be here.